And that is where I gain strength and hope in this situation. What do you mean by that? Do they know what you mean by that? Is it helpful for them to hear you say, well, I have Jesus? My guess is what we mean, some of what we mean when we say, hey, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves on a day-to-day basis. Or what we mean when we tell our friends and neighbors and family members, hey, we have Jesus, and that gives us strength and encouragement, is that we mean, hey, there's something that Jesus has done, there's some work that he's accomplished that gives me very real help for this life situation, this life circumstance that I'm encountering here and now. And so what we want to do, it's kind of an ambitious task, is to take at least these six pictures that Scripture gives us of what Jesus has accomplished and try to give us some practical, tangible help to unpack for us what we mean when we say, let's preach the gospel to ourselves or that Jesus helps in these situations. The first one we get to look at today is the picture of Jesus as our reconciler. Jesus as our reconciler. I want to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians 5. Let me read it now, starting in verse 16. And we'll, we'll look at a couple other passages in reference, but we'll, we'll anchor ourselves down in this passage to, to understand what, what does reconciliation mean, and what does it mean that Jesus is our reconciler. Verse 16 of chapter 5, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a great letter, a great place to go in Scripture to talk about the idea of reconciliation because of what was going on in Corinth and the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with the Corinthian church. Corinth, in the days in which this letter was written, was a relatively new city. It had existed for some time, but it had been destroyed and burned to the ground and lay in ashes for over a hundred years until about 46 BC when it was rebuilt. And so, as you can imagine, any new city, if you want to think Wild West, Western Frontier times of our country, When a new city is developed, it tends to draw those that can't find a place, don't have a home where they are. And so it's uh, outlaws, it's outcasts that go and help form a new city like the city of Corinth was. It's people that are going looking for an identity and finding a new place, a new frontier to build a new self, to make a new life for themselves. And that's what Corinth was. It, was. it had become a city in a short time that was in search of an identity. And you could, it had everything you could think of to offer, to say, hey, come here and find yourself. Come here and start over. Come here and make a new life. So the Corinthians themselves 
even in the church, were a group of strangers and outcasts and aliens. Those that had not found a home and a place in any other uh, place before. On the, on the other side of it, the Apostle Paul who's writing to them, this is a group of people that he writes to and pours himself into with, for all we know, very little fruit. So this is one of the hardest relationships, church speaking and individually speaking, that he has. And then within the church itself, you find relational issues going on. People that uh, are deep in sin that Paul has encouraged the church to take church discipline to, uh, to, in order to restore them to a right relationship with Christ to enact church discipline. Um, but he has to go so far as in his letters to say, hey, okay, you've, you've enacted church discipline. You've treated them now as a, as a non-Christian, but now they're re- 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 repented. They've been forgiven. Now bring them back in. Uh, it, you know, throw your arms around them. They're forgiven. Treat them now as a, as, a, as a member again. So all that to say, the Corinthian situation is a situation of strained relationships, of people that feel outcasts, that need some sense of knowing that what Jesus has done for them has an effect practically on a relational level. And so it's interesting that if that be in the context, Paul gives the picture here of Jesus Christ as our reconciler. Because the idea of reconciliation has to do with relationship. Reconciliation at its basic form is the idea of two offended parties that have their backs turned to one another. And the idea of reconciliation, if you were to be a reconciler in a situation, is you go do everything in your power to help these two offended parties that are, their backs are turned away from each other to, to then turn, to, to do something to take away the hostility and make peace so that these parties can come and relate rightly like they were supposed to and designed to do in the first place. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us in salvation. He has been, has become our reconciler. The foundation of the need for reconciliation goes all the way back to Genesis 3 in the fall. It's when Adam and Eve (coughs) took the right relationship that they had with God, who would show up in the afternoon and walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. Open access, right relationship, a trusting relationship with their their God. A right relationship with one another and with the, the creation that God had given them. And then in one act of disobedience, they chose, instead of that right relationship, that trusting relationship, that that sweet relationship with God, to choose instead to go their own way, to rebel, and to set up themselves as an enemy of God. The picture that that I've had in my head as I've tried to to understand this is is one of of our daughter, uh, Naomi, as a baby. All of our children have had digestive problems as babies and so none of them slept very good but Naomi was the worst she literally cried almost non-stop for nine months uh, which wears on you for lack of sleep and and other reasons but the biggest I think the biggest wear and tear for for us as parents for a child that screams for nine months is the emotional aspect why 
Because when you take a baby in your arms and you hold them to give them comfort, and there is no sense of comfort that you can give. Instead of comfort, the screams get louder, and there's you know, the arched back and the screams and the, the clawing. And you're trying to, to hold this child, to nuzzle it, to comfort her. And she's doing everything she can, it seems, to get out of your arms, to get away from that embrace. Well, come to find out, the doctors couldn't figure it out for a while, but she had digestive problems. And the only thing that finally gave her relief was a feeding tube that allowed her esophagus to heal and then her digestive system to mature to the point where she no longer would cry. And at nine months, things clicked. <laughs> the, the esophagus healed, her digestive system um, grew up, matured, and she you know, doesn't have any problems uh, even now. And she's become a loving child, one that craves that attention, one that wants to be hugged and snuggled. Reconciliation of relationship, one that was designed to, to be held and comforted and related to in that way that a, a parent and a baby is, that something inside of them was wrong and keeping them from that was finally made right and the relationship worked as it should. Keep that picture in your head as we think about what Christ has done for us. I want to look briefly, because it's a relational term, at what reconciliation does for our relationship with God, what, relation, what reconciliation does for our relationship with others, and then briefly what it does with our relationship with our world and talk about how do we, how do we get access to this reconciliation. Uh, first of all, what does reconciliation do for our relationship with God and how does that apply on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, we see it all through this passage. It says, from now on... Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Paul says, hey, I used to regard even Christ according to the flesh. Not to mention everybody else, but Jesus himself. You remember the story of the Apostle Paul? The ultimate enemy of Jesus Christ. The one who had set himself up, self-appointed himself as the one that would stamp out Christianity. He thought himself a friend of God and that this, this Christianity stuff it was leading people astray and away from knowledge of the true God. That this Jesus had been a fraud, a fake, and he was leading people away from a right Jewish understanding of, of who God is and how you relate to him. And then he gets on his horse or camel, whatever it was, and heads to Damascus and quite literally gets knocked off of that horse by the risen Christ. The one that he thought was his buddy that he was doing a favor for, his friend, God, met him on the road and said, Paul, you thought you were my friend. You've been my enemy. Jesus says, Paul, it's me you're persecuting, not just these Christians, me. And Paul's life is flipped upside down, and he's given a ministry a ministry of reconciliation. And he speaks of that here. He says, I used to regard Jesus according to the flesh. I used to regard him as an enemy. But I regard him thus no longer. And because of my view of him, my view of everybody else has changed as well. The, the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, who was a, one of the best known atheists of our time, in, in a video that was made not too long ago, 
talks about this as he debates in front of a college crowd what Christianity is all about. He makes the statement that he doesn't think it's just bad or wrong. He thinks it's evil if you believe in Christianity. He thinks it does detriment to society. And he goes and makes those, those claims. What is he doing? Well, he's taking his theology to its logical end. That's where, that's where Paul was, an enemy of Christ. But he was reconciled by Jesus, turning the offended party towards him. See, it makes sense that God would be turned away from us because of what we just described in the fall, that we have said to God, hey, I understand what you've given us, but I don't want it. We committed that cosmic act of treason. We said, no, we're going to rebel. We're going to do our own way. We're going to set our own selves up as God. So it would make sense that we have offended him, that he's turned. What doesn't make sense is that we're turned. It doesn't make sense that Adam and Eve would choose sin in themselves instead of God in the garden. Sin in itself is absurd in that way. So what does God do? Well, he not only has reconciled himself by appeasing his wrath, by pouring it out on Jesus, but then he goes about to turn us, who have no right to be turned, and reconciling us to him by making peace through his blood. It says that he's taking our list of trespasses in verse 19, and he said, I'm not going to count them against you. It should be yours. It is your record. But I'm not going to count that against you. I'm going to instead account it to Christ and account his record to yours, which is what's talked about in verse 21, the, the verse of the great exchange that he has, he's made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's saying, hey, that, that person who had, was the only one that was in right standing, in right relationship with God the Father, his only son, the one who lived perfectly, who had never offended him, the one who had the only right standing, I'm going to put him in your place, who is the standing of a rebel, who is one who's turned and gone his own way. What David Nicholas used to call, had committed crimes against the Almighty God. And then I'm going to take you, who are the rebel, and I'm going to put you in his place, so that your standing, your relationship is one of a perfect son or daughter. That exchange is going to be made, and because of that, the two will be turned. Now, how does this reconciliation in our relationship with God, how does it apply to day-to-day -day situations? I mean, what, what situations do we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that this, this actually helps? Well, the first is this, disappointment. Over the... Christmas uh, season this year we we always do uh, Christmas late with my extended family in Atlanta and my kids love their cousins they look forward to getting to play with their cousins in Atlanta well two days before we were to go visit them uh, the youngest of our four kids started showing signs of what looked like pink eye which you know is very contagious well the next day the other three show signs of pink eye and when we announced to them, hey, guys, we're not going to be able to go 
you know, they've got three children, and th- well, and then other cousins are coming, so th- there's no way we can go. We will we'll spread it, and this is highly contagious. Well, Nathan, my oldest, was devastated. They were all sad, but Nathan was devastated when he found out. And it was interesting to walk with him, walk with him through disappointment for really one of, not the first time, but one of the first times where he is really cognitively understanding it. And it just so happened, as God would have it, that in our family devotions at night, we were talking about the first few chapters of Genesis and who God is. And the, the book that we're reading, the author said this, there's one phrase, there's, there's three words that you need to remember more than any other phrase or words. And we were asking them, well, what, what is it? What, what are the, what's the phrase that you need to remember more than any other? What three words? And they were saying this and that and the other. Well, it came thundering back the answer of God loves you. Those three words. Now, that may sound trite, but it really helped Nathan because of this. We started talking about, now, Nathan, why are you so upset? Why are you so disappointed? Well, Obviously, God doesn't want me to go to visit my cousins. See, when you're faced with disappointment, you have two options. You can blame God, or you can look at and be mad at the fact that the world is wrong, and there's sin and the effects of sin in the world. And that's because of our rebellion. And see, Nathan, what you need to remember is that God loves you. Who knows the reasons that he doesn't want us to go visit our cousins? Could it be car accidents? Could it be whatever else? But for some reason, he doesn't want us to go. But what we know is that God loves us. And see, that helps us deal with disappointment. Because he knows better than we do. Well, that's not being able to visit your cousins. How many other so much more deep and grave disappointments do you have in your life right now? Well, this message of reconciliation says God loves you. He's done everything that's needed to reconcile you to himself. He's not angry at you. If you are trusting and resting in him and what Jesus has done, then his work on your behalf is that he's reconciled you to himself. You are in right relationship with you. He's not doing these things to you. He's not keeping you from these things because he's mad at you. That's been taken care of by Jesus. That's one disappointment. What about shame and guilt? How many people do you know, maybe even yourself, that struggle with the feelings of, man, I hope on the deepest level nobody ever finds out that I struggle with this. And honestly, I'm never going to really talk to God about it because I kind of hope if I don't mention it, maybe he won't recognize it. And so we hold, we harbor these lists of of wrongs and it, it heaps up this guilt, this shame on us. Well, the the message of this is that, no, you've got complete access. God has dealt with all that so that your relationship is restored. You can come to him anytime. You don't have to walk around in shame and guilt and separating yourselves from God's people or ultimately from him. What about the idea of being hopeless? Ephesians 2, in its passage, talks about that, that, that the Gentiles were separated from God when without hope. Well, we walk around without hope. What is our hope? Why, 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 how in the world can we gain confidence? Well, by knowing that 
the almighty God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, loved you enough that he did everything needed to reconcile you to himself and you have a relationship with him. So when everyone else is against you, he's for you. So you can go forward with confidence and hope. Or fourthly, what about the idea of being alone? See, this idea, this part of the work of Christ deals with loneliness like no other. That he alone is the lover of your soul. That you were once far off, you were once separated and cast out. Just like the Corinthians, a bunch of outcasts. But he is drawn, he's, he's made peace. He's drawn you near by the blood of the cross. So on your most intimate and deep level, you have relationship with the one that you're meant to have relationship with. It's 1245, and we've only gotten through the first point. Quickly, our relationship with others. And because of that, it allows us to change how we view each other. We regard not only Christ differently, but we regard each other differently. Well, how do we regard each other now? Well, as new creations. You can imagine Paul on the road to Damascus, and he's looking at the resurrected Christ. And he sees, this is what a resurrected person with a glorified body looks like? If this is what we're all going to be, those of us who are trusting in Christ one day, then I can never view anyone the way that I used to view them. I've got to view everybody different. I no, no longer regard them the same way. I regard them as new creations. If they're placing their trust in Christ, then I know what they will be. And so now I, we have a ministry of reconciliation. We get to go and be ambassadors. And the picture of the ambassador is the one that goes ahead of the king to the city that's about to be taken over. And he says, my king is on that hill. He's coming. He is a good king. Submit to his rule. But either way, he will be victorious. Whether it's by wrath and bloodshed on your own account, your own record, or by you willingly coming and submitting and bowing the knee to the good king. See, the job is dangerous some of those ambassadors would get sent back to the king without their head. But the, the, the burden, the onus is not on you or me, but it's on the king. He does this. He's the one that does the ministry of reconciliation. We are just his ambassadors. We say, hey, he's king, and he's a good king. Submit to his rule. So what does this help with? The idea of relationship to others, well... One thing it helps with is anger, you know, in an indirect way. I think I've told this story in here before that early on, right out of college, I was driving on the streets of Macon, driving down Vineville Avenue where the weird lights are. You have the X's and the arrows, and, you know, you never know what time of day you're going to see which ones. And I'm sure I'd done something stupid driving, but a car zoomed up beside me, and the guy gave me an interesting gesture out the window and then zoomed right in front of me and put on his brakes to try to almost you know, make me wreck and then just sped off. And at first I was angry and I wanted to extend some own gestures of my own. But in a moment of the Holy Spirit working in my life, and I have to, I have to go back probably 
this, this example happened probably 10, 15 years ago, so I have to go back that long to, to find a, 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 a positive experience, so that tells you the depths of my sin. But um, the Holy Spirit said, you have no idea what that person is going through. You know, who knows the situation that they're going through? And whatever you just did drew out of them something that's much deeper than that small act of traffic violation drew out in them. And so instead of being angry at them, I was able, in a, in a weird moment, again, the Holy Spirit working to pray for that person and to pray, God, I don't have no idea what's going on in their life, but I pray that you would meet them where they are and that you would reconcile them to yourself. See, reconciliation helps us view people no longer as enemies, but as people like us that need reconciliation. People like us that are rebels. And so the burden of responsibility is on God, but we get to be ambassadors to shed light on those situations. There's so much more we could say here. We're out of time, and I, I want to honor your time to get back to work. But let me just leave, leave you with this. How do you get this reconciliation? Well, it's the same way that you get all these other accomplishments of Christ. It's through union with him that is applied to you personally by the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 14. He says, The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all and therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, these accomplishments, these things that Jesus has done are applied to you as a Christian. If you trust in him with your life, Holy Spirit applies these things to you, and for the first time in your life, you're able to say with Paul, I no longer regard people like I used to regard them. Because I've been reconciled, I can be about the ministry of reconciliation with others. The work of Christ applies to us in a very real way on a day-to-day -day basis. He is our reconciler, and we're going to go through at least five more of these pictures and see practically how it applies to us. So I encourage you to come back and to, to bring folks with you that may need to hear the message of how the work of Christ applies to them. Let's pray. God, we ask through your Holy Spirit that you would apply this to our lives even today. Help us to know our reconciliation in you and to be able to apply it in real world situations today and to be about the ministry of reconciliation because you reconciled us to yourself Help us to be about uh, seeing others reconciled to you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.